0: I want to talk to you some more about what you need to wear, Colossians 3.12, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, 13, 14, he says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, verse 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. All right, so the Bible tells us to put off. Back there in verse 8 and 9, he gives us six things to put off. He says, put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, and lie not one to another. So those six things are things that and I call them besetting sins. I call them sins that we we settle into, we easily get into. Somebody defined for me malice. What's malice? It's meanness. Is that what you're gonna say? Yeah, great minds think alike. Um uh, and it's just it's the desire to get even. And blasphemy. I mean, we think, well, I'm a Christian. I would never blasph- blaspheme God. But the Bible says, if our lives aren't in line with the book, we are blaspheming the Word of God. And if our if our lives, if we, if, if we claim to to you know be a, uh, a child of God, and yet we're honoring the devil, aren't we a hypocrites? So we can we can do enough blasphemy uh, and also filthy communication out of your mouth. I know nothing comes out of your mouth that's ever wrong, right, Obie? Never do you say a wrong word, a cross word, a harsh word, do you? Yeah, we do. the communication out of your mouth. And the last thing is all lying. Those six things people get comfortable with. And so what Paul says, put them off. He doesn't say, well, reduce them. He says, put them off, give them to the charity shop, put them out into the rubbish. Whatever you got to do, don't wear them. And he gives eight greater replacements, better responses to hurt. All of these are responses to hurt. Do you notice that? All of those things are responses to how to, to, to when things go wrong in our life. So what are the better responses to the hurt? Well, he gives, as we saw, the vows of mercies, the kindness, the humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearance, forgiveness, and charity. So, between these two, which one, which one is better for a Christian? To be wearing, so to speak. If there's anything your family and anything that your co-workers and schoolmates ought to tell, they ought to see by your life that, okay, and and you know what all of those are? That's the life of Christ. That is Christ in you, living through you. Paul says, "I live uh, the life which I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God." So that's His life lived through us. So. Let's look at those eight reactions to your, to, you know, in your life to besetting sins. Let's pray again. I feel like I need to pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us to hear and, oh, and, and, and really adapt the way we think and change. Now, we can try and change, but we won't. We'll always fall back on our old ways because our pride will stop us. So we got to yield and, and let you surgically marvelously pull away what's wrong in us and replace with something that's better. So that's why he gave us the Bible. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If I need grace, if I need strength, if I need help, if I need change, I get it through obeying the word of God. I pray that we would do that tonight for Jesus' sake and for this lost world. Amen. All right. So, let's just look at the eight attitudes, and maybe in the side of your Bible, or maybe in a notepad, you need to write down these definitions, because a lot of times, when you're reading the Bible, God meant you to go, what does that mean? So, two weeks ago, actually three weeks ago, we we looked, first of all, at bowels of mercies. Now, somebody once said it's bowls of mercies, but it's bowels, okay? A bowel of mercy is when you show gut-felt compassion for those who don't deserve it. That's what mercy is. It's showing compassion for somebody who doesn't deserve it. So you have, uh, why it's called bowels is because it is a deep-seated gut feeling of concern and care towards others. It's when you hold back on judging and condemning and punishing. Uh, the modern word is empathy. Um, So, you know, uh, anger is a normal reaction when somebody hurts you. Empathy is a Christian reaction. Does that make sense? When somebody hurts us, sometimes we don't know whether they're hurting because they're hurt. Now, it's wrong that they hurt you. And the Bible says that's not what they should do. But instead of hurting back, we should have bowels of mercy, which means very deep, not just surface mercies. Then he says... Put on kindness. Now, these are clothes that you're wearing. Now, let's see. Some people have, normally they'll have a, 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 a T-shirt and then they'll have a shirt and then they'll have a jumper and then they'll have a coat and then they'll have an overcoat and then they'll have a scarf and they're ready for an Irish winter, okay? But a Christian wears more and more of these things and I kind of, uh, I don't know, we ought to be the hottest people on the planet. Our passion, our emotions ought to be very warm. We shouldn't be cold towards the world. So, the second layer is kindness. Now, kindness is when you're tender towards the needs of others. I compare this. I've had nurses. I had one nurse. I went in, uh, and the nurse tried to give me a shot in my my arm here. This was back when I was 18 years old. And I remember this. I will never forget it. She poked in there, and I screamed. And the woman went, Oops. Let me try again. <laughs> she poked again, missed the, 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 the vein or artery, whatever she was trying to do. And I went, ow. She went, let me try again. And the other nurse came and says, no, <laughs> pulled her out. And wow, I'm telling you, that first nurse had no niceness about her. She was not tender. It was, it was just, I, man, I still have the scars. I'm still scarred by that woman. Uh, kindness is, is, when you're tender toward the needs of others. How many of you have ever been to the dentist? How many of you like going to the dentist? Anybody here? You know why we hate the dentist? Because it hurts. I, you know, I've seen a dentist, a smile clinic. Nobody goes in there smiling. And Nobody comes out smiling, but anyway, smile clinic. But the pain, how come it still hurts? Well, uh, there's, there's just, when we, when we get hurt, kindness is a reaction that says, I'll be tender. As a matter of fact, tender goes with kindness a lot. Um, uh, Kindness seeks to be gentle, sensitive to the reaction of others. That's why you're just careful how you talk. Should we be careful about how we talk to one another? Amen. I mean, we're not in a locker room. We're not just talking and just saying whatever comes on our head. Maybe Trump does that and maybe politicians are are worried about what they say. I worry about being tender about what I say to others. I may have to be firm. I may have to be straight up with them, but I'm careful enough where it's from love. The Bible says speaking the truth in what? In love. So the opposite of kindness is cruelty. So a Christian should have kind words, tender actions, soft attitudes, just like Jesus treated others. You know, he went over to a, to a man who was, who was full of leprosy. And you know what he did? The most marvelous thing he ever did was he touched him. Now that man, with leprosy, I don't know how long he had been leprous, but I bet nobody had touched him, had hugged him, had shown any kindness to him for years. And you know, just a tender touch can make all the difference in the world. Kindness. Third, we talked about all this before, but humbleness of mind. Now, This is not just humility, but humility doesn't begin in the heart. Humility begins in your thinking, and it's where you don't think of yourself, but only others. It is when you think of others better than yourself. Not that you think, "Oh, everybody's better than me." That's Eeyore. How many remember Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh? Eeyore is like, everybody else is happy. Everybody else is better than me. That's not what he's saying. Don't think of yourself at all. Don't compare yourself at all. Just think of everybody else as awesome, as important, higher, more valuable. And don't even think of yourself at all. That's humility of mind. And it's the right way of thinking. How much of our thinking is comparing ourselves among ourselves? How much? 99%. The car you drive, the food you eat, the places you go, You'll compare it with other people. The clothes you wear, you'll compare. And it will discourage you. Humbleness of mind doesn't consider any of that. You know what a humble mind does? A humble mind thinks of others. Period. Uh, the man who started the Salvation Army, what was his name? What was like it? William Booth. On, at Christmas time, he sent out a telegram to all the Salvation Army stations all over the world, and he put one word on that telegram and he just reminded them. You know, how many of you know what the Salvation Army is? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Salvation Army. Okay, Salvation Army for years and years and years. I don't know what they're like now, really. But for years and years, they, boy, they had rescue missions. They were helping people off drink and uh, early drugs. And they're helping people who were out on the street. They were doing incredible work, giving the gospel to them. And he wrote a little telegram and he sent it out all over the world. And it just said, others. Think of others. That's humility of mind. Now let's move on to the next one. Let's read that. Colossians 3, verse 12, goes on. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, next word. What is it? Meekness. Now, meekness means mild of temper, soft, gentle, not easily provoked. Matthew 5, 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the... Meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, evidently, evidently, uh, Christ honors meekness, not strength. Normally, strong people, super strong people win battles. But in God's kingdom, meek people win battles. Now, uh, somebody has described meekness as strength under control, and that's true. I don't doubt it. Meek people are not weak people. That's not the definition. That's not how it's supposed to work. But what meekness looks like is it has no temper. It is soft. It is gentle in response. It's not easily provoked or irritated like I get. I'm driving along and my wife will tell me, you're getting irritated. And and I don't know, the older I get, is this true, Dan and Eric? You guys are the old guys here. do you get more irritated the older you get? No, no you liar, you stinking liar. <laughs> I just, oh, I just get, she'll call me Mr. Grumpy, anything to make me more irritated. But, uh, meekness does not get irritated. Uh, it, it, it meekness yields, it gives into, even when you're hurt. Now, the opposite of meekness is harshness. Um, what does meekness look like? It is a Christ-like attitude about others with no focus on self, which we're building on. And, and meekness, basically, is an attitude that you're, you're not really there, okay? A meek person doesn't go, hey, everybody, hey, I'm pretty awesome, I'm really the leader here. Follow me. Meekness doesn't do that. Let me show you. Go to Numbers chapter 12. We'll come back to Colossians in a minute. Numbers chapter 12. All right, let's see. I'll start with Patrick. Numbers 12 and verse 3. Okay, so there were times where Moses had to take the limelight, had to take center stage. But that wasn't, he was meek, which was his attitude. He didn't want it, did he? Where would he have rather been? Back on the backside of the desert taking care of sheep. But there he was, and when he was up there, who got all the attention when Moses spoke? Who got all of the people's attention? God. Moses didn't say, well, the one time he says, you know, when he's talking to him, you know, Boy, you know, he gets very angry, and all of a sudden he forgets about being meek. But Moses was very meek. Now it doesn't mean that he was weak. It says Moses was strong, firm, he was somber, he was a serious man, and he had super authority. You didn't mess with him. Listen to Hebrews ten twenty eight. It says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. So you didn't cross Moses. But Moses wasn't the big deal. Under the Old Testament, Moses got everybody's attention on the holiness of God. Wouldn't that be a great church? How many churches are focused on the main guy speaking all the time and all the attention that he attracts? It really is not so important who's speaking, it's what they're saying. And on whether in church your attention in your life is being drawn to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw how many men? All men. So meekness brings no attention to yourself. Meekness focuses it on, on God and on Christ. Now, wives and ladies in general have to have this attitude in their home. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, a wife is not a doormat. She can be very strong. She can be very firm. But you need to be careful about this attitude. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 4 says, Let your adorning be something that's hidden, deep in your heart, that which is not corruptible. It doesn't ruin, it doesn't rust. Even the ornament of a, what's the spirit? A meek and a quiet spirit. Now there are some women who are just loud. But I say be careful because when a woman's loud, it makes people demean the, the, the difference in roles. Men are loud. And men are supposed to be loud. Do you know when Jesus preached to a crowd of 5,000 men, there were at least another 10,000 women and children out there, and they all heard him. Jesus was loud. Now, if a woman spoke and 10,000 people heard her, that would be an embarrassment. Amen? That would not be right. Especially in a home. Over and over, Proverbs warns about a loud and a contentious woman. And it is that, listen, loud and contentious women are in the pub, and they ought not to be in a family, in a home. So, ladies in general, work on having a meek spirit in your home. Christ did not design you, as a Christian woman, to be loud. Uh, a soft answer breaketh the bones. Meekness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, too. Go back to the left, find Galatians chapter 5, and verse 23 and we'll do Brother Darren, Galatians five, twenty three, please. Actually do twenty two and twenty-three. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So is there a law against being meek? Now, you go down the street in court, there is a law against being loud. Did you know that? <laughs> there is a law. They have a limit. If you went down the street and you started yelling on top of your lungs, the guard will come and says, sorry, you're way over the limit. You can't talk that loud. There is a law against being loud. But there's no law against being meek, is there? Against such there is no law. So the, the the goal of the Christian is if we're loud, if we... If we're so used to demanding that we be heard, we have to turn that thing around and say, I'm going to be meek. Um, Jesus has this attitude. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest unto your souls. Go to Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah, just before Malachi and Matthew, find a, a, a What's called a minor prophet, Zechariah, chapter 9 and verse 9. And Miss Sherry, 9 9, Zechariah 9 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Israel. Behold, thy king cometh unto me. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a coat before him. Okay, if you normally come into a kingdom, and if you're normally going to take a kingdom, what kind of an animal would you expect to be riding on? A stallion, the broadest, strongest, most beautiful horse ever, ever found. So he comes in how? Lowly, meekly, on a donkey. You know how fast a donkey can go? (laughs) Very slow. There he is prodding along. And he's coming in, and it was a prophecy that that's your king. And that is our king. That's my example. I'm not like that, am I? Probably you're not either. So, put that attitude on. Determine a choice to be lowly, not braggadocious, not loud, not proud, not boastful, not drawing attention to yourself, meek. Choose to wear meekness. Next one, long-suffering. Now, long-suffering is probably the hardest one of them all. Because I kind of wear out when I'm in pain, when things are not working out. Anybody else like that? A couple of years ago, I had a broken tooth. I didn't know it was broken, so the dentist told me, and then he told me how much it was going to cost for me to fix it, and I went, I'll put up with it. Well, I couldn't put up with it. I mean, after you've had pain for a while, you'll pay any price to get rid of it. Long-suffering puts up with things. So it is patiently continuing to love while you're going through affliction. Um, let's go to uh, Philippians one in verse twenty-nine. Philippians 1, 29. brother uh, Andrew. Philippians one, twenty-nine. Philippians one, twenty-nine. Have you suffered for his sake yet? I mean, we think we've suffered. Oh, man. This summer I'm suffering. You know how it is. And yet it's coming. And when it comes, you think you're ready? You think you're ready to suffer? Now, I'm looking at some of you. I have no idea what you've been through. I would never guess that you have not suffered. I just know that Andrew hasn't suffered. He's just... (laughs) Anyway, I'm joking. I have no idea. I just know this. Our lives, according to the Bible, are not always going to be blessed. They're not always going to be easy street. They're going to be suffering. Do we long suffer? Uh, Jennifer, 2 Timothy 3. Go to the right. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Okay, in the old days, before the modern age, when we got all these freedoms that we have in the Western world, what did it usually cost people if they were going to follow Christ? For the last 1,900 years, what did it cost people? Not just their life, but what else? If you, yeah, If you did not baptize your baby in a Catholic country, they took your baby off of you, because in their minds in the catholic mindset and even in the protestant mindset to be a, to be a member of that society to be a citizen you had to be a christian and what made person christian was baptism and if an anabaptist or a what what they called a nonconformist would say no i'm going to wait till they get saved before they get baptized they thought that was child abuse and so, just like social services, they came in and they took the child off. And they often, to make an example, they weren't caring about the child. You ought to read a book called The Little Baptist, and it's a little book. It's probably about two hundred pages long. Very simple read, but it is terrifyingly painful to read about how mothers who and, and families who were they get a hold of the Bible, they read it and they go, "We're not going to just go along with the Catholic Church." And when they would break through the door and would take the children, they weren't taking them and caring for them, they would take them then and they would bound up the mom and the dad and they would put them in the carriage, they would take them to a bridge and they would watch as they threw their baby over into the water and say, there, because you wouldn't baptize them, we would baptize them. And they drowned their babies that way. And it was horrific. Those were the days that the Huguenots, you know about the Huguenots, you know the smallest amount, you should read about what they paid to follow the Bible, so, they suffered. I've never contemplated being able to suffer like that. And you know, when, when, when they should have rioted and fought back, like they did up in Northern Ireland, like they did in, in Spain, real Christians didn't fight back. They suffered. They suffered, man. Long suffering. Just, just for trying to do right. Not Herman, anybody else. Just trying to live godly. Long suffering. So the next time somebody's being harsh to you, and a thorn in your flesh. What did Jesus teach Paul about his thorn? You're going to have to live with it. But here's the, here's the His grace is, but you're going to have to live with it. You're going to have to suffer long. So when you get dressed in the morning, and you're looking at all those clothes, and you're deciding which one you're going to wear, remember, you better be prepared to wear long-suffering today if it gets hard. Amen. Then he says something else. He says forbearance. Now, forbearance is a patience with those that hurt us. Isn't that funny? There's patience there. Here's patience. I guess God really wants to work on patience in us. Paul says there are two attitudes. If you go back to Colossians, two attitudes will end all quarrels in a home. Colossians chapter 2 and... oh, uh, I said 2. Chapter 3... In verse 13, he says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, comma. Because if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. The answer to a quarrel, a fight, an argument, a knock down, drag out war, is forbearance and forgiving. So let's look at forbearance for a minute. To forbear is to resist, to avoid, to put off, To hold back, to refrain yourself, restrain yourself, I like some of these words, to sacrifice your own needs, to avoid confrontation, to pass over, to pass up an opportunity, to refuse to attack, to starve your own anger, to tolerate, to endure, to make allowance for. All of that out of the dictionary. To forbear is to resist the urge to fight back. That's forbearance. And you're holding back so that love continues. Go to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1. Um, Adelina, Hebrews 13, 1. Hold in your place here in Colossians. Hebrews 13, 1, please. Okay. Kind of short and sweet. Brotherly love is so fragile. And Paul commands, let it continue. Don't do anything that will stop brotherly kind of love from flowing. So forbearance is... We we joke about the honeymooners. We joke about it. if any of you ever watched the nineteen. It was nineteen forties, nineteen fifties. When were they on? Fifties and sixties. Well, it was set off in, in Brooklyn or was it Queens? Where was it in New York? Somewhere in New York City. This couple living in an apartment up there, and it was just so funny because every every day, every time you're watching this thing, uh, the wife's name was Alice, and what was the husband's name? Ralph. No, no, Ralph is. What's Ralph? Yes, okay, his buddies. Yeah, it was Ralph and Alice. It's, but anyway, but Ralph would say to Alice, one of these days, Alice, one of these days, right in the kids' but and he would always joke, joke. And we knew it was funny. We knew it was a joke. But the point is, you know, a a a, a fight can brew, an argument can brew in the home, and forbearance pulls back and says, no, I'm just going to let love continue. I'm just going to let love continue there's a tendency that we work from love and tolerance to little love. And from little love to anger, from anger to bitterness, from bitterness to hatred, and from hatred to murder. (laughs) Aren't you glad Christ reverses that list? Amen? All right. So, forbearance. What does forbearance mean? It means holding back when you want to let go. Then he gives another word and he says forgiveness. Now, do you know how much of the Bible is about forgiveness? From Genesis chapter 3 on, God has had to forgive us countless times. And we've been taught to forgive and to go beyond. And so he says forgive. Now somebody, most people have no idea what a forgiveness is, but let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. Ephesians 4 and 31. And um uh Eric, Brother Eric, would you read Ephesians four, thirty-one and thirty-two? All right. So to forgive is to treat the other person just as forgiven as Christ. Sees you. Let that sink in. To forgive is to treat the other person no longer having any record of the event. If they said I'm sorry, now you should be you should already in your heart forgive. You may not be able to extend forgiveness, but in your heart they're forgiven. And when they say I'm sorry, you ought to say about what? It ought to be already a done deal in your heart, you're already forgiven. I'm glad you said you're sorry. Amen. So Christ forgives us without having any record being kept. As they say in the, in, the, in the official world, it's when your record has been expunged or blotted out. And that means no more remembrance either. You cannot re- keep a record. Do you know what the devil does? He's called the accuser of the brethren. And what does he do in our heads? He reminds us first of our own sins and then the sins of others. Don't let him do that. Forgiveness. It actually involves you paying for the injury yourself, especially when you're forgiving one another that 's forgiveness and then he ends with one great final hat or scarf or whatever you want to say when you put it on, and that 's the word charity now when we talk about charity, I'll talk about what that diamond is in a moment we often talk about charity as a King James Bible word and we kind of are embarrassed of it never be embarrassed of a advanced word that so far it is unknown of to the world let's look at two scriptures uh, John 15:9 and uh, um, Kira John 159. That's some awesome kind of love. That's not the love of the world, is it? That kind of love is unknown to the world. Now, First John three one, uh, Kevin. First John, all the way to the right. First John chapter three and verse one. <clears throat> Okay, so Lord, when the world looks at you, Kevin, they go, I can't figure him out. You know why? Because the love of God, not your perfection, but the love of God affected you. And look at the, the kind of love the Father has just poured out on us is unknown to the world. That's why it's called charity here. Um, what is it? What kind of love is that? It is a perfect love. It is absolutely perfect. It is a. It is, you, know what, you know why it's perfect? Because it doesn't have me in it. <laughs> charity doesn't have me. It is all a gift. It is selfless love. It is a kind of kind and gentle and a serving love. As a matter of fact, I love how the Bible uses in the Old Testament, charity is not there, but the word loving kindness is there, which is the same meaning. So, there in Colossians, it says, it is the bond of perfectness. You know what that means? You know what a bond is? It's a glue, and it's the perfect glue for any home, any church, or any community. If this church has one thing going for us, it'll be our love for the book and our love for one another. It's no good if we say we love the book and we don't get along with one another. It's no good if we say we love God and we don't get along with one another. So, by this, shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have perfect doctrine. Is that what the Bible says? No, if you have love, one to another. And what kind of love? A love that's like God's love for his son and like Christ's love for us. That's charity. Charity, therefore, is the best attitude a person can ever achieve. The highest form of attitude is not joy, happiness, um, uh, uh, servitude. No, the best attitude is charity. Now, we'll talk about that in a minute because what is charity? Charity. Well, let me keep going. It is the rarest form of love. Now, I know people think that diamonds are rare. They are in our home. <laughs> but there is a cartel that, called the De Beers Cartel that would prefer you didn't know this. But the annual word, world production of gem-quality diamonds exceeds 50 million carats. Not <laughs> carats. That equals 10 metric tons a year, and it would fill about 120 bushel baskets every year. 120 big baskets full of diamonds are collected and sold every year and given out. So you go to the jewelry store, they charge you 2,000 euros for a wedding ring and all this stuff. It's a farce. They're not rare. But the rarest gemstone is called a penite. There's only 25 in existence in the world. That is the rarest form of a diamond. And I'm afraid charity is the rarest form of love, too. Now, you know why it's so rare? It's because charity doesn't feel. All right? Love feels. Charity does. Charity is an action word. Uh, Charity edifies. Charity meets needs. Charity covers a multitude of sins and failures. Charity is kind while suffering. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. He talks about what is charity. What charity does, it is kind even though it is suffering. Charity does. That's why it's so amazingly different. How, how do we normally react? We normally react based on how we feel. Amen? I just don't feel like going to church. I just don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like going up to so-and-so and and being nice to him, right? Charity just does. Doesn't wait for a feeling, doesn't have to have a feeling. Charity is the best attitude that I need to wear and need to have. Yes, I need to have love. There's nothing wrong with having feelings. But this kind of love is so rare because it's not done. We're waiting for a feeling. All right. Next week, I'm going to talk about the peace of God. If you go back to Colossians, I'll show you where we're going with this thing. Those eight things bring you to a place where God can change your whole life and mindset about life. Colossians 3.15 says, after you've gone through 12, 13, 14, it says, verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now, the peace of God, I think God's at peace. Would you agree? I think he doesn't panic, I think he doesn't worry, and that kind of peace can be in me if I start to wear those kind of attitudes. Now, concluding thoughts, gentlemen, when you're looking in your wardrobe there and you're trying to decide on what to wear, ladies, it's hard resisting the temptation to react the way we always have. Would you agree? The, the devil will always get your attention on what is easiest to wear instead of what is right to wear. Isn't that true about even physical clothes? (laughs) We'll go there. All of those above attitudes are present and full in Jesus Christ, not in Muhammad. In one of the surahs in the Quran, it says, To Allah, there are no animals viler than those who do not believe and who remain unbelievers. to, To Allah, people who are not Muslim are worse than There's no animal viler. Is that how you see people? Is that how you treat people? Is that how Christ dealt with unbelievers? Is that how he dealt with people who weren't following him and right alongside with him and his disciples? Muhammad doesn't help people. The concept of loving one's enemy is very hard for a Muslim to understand. One way to blow a Muslim's mind is say, You know, Jesus taught that we're to love our enemies. And you know what? They'll look at you and go, that is crazy. Because in Muslim teaching, loving an infidel is like going against God, since God cannot love an infidel. So, all of these things that we just take for granted because they're in the Bible are so different than what Muhammad taught, than what Buddha taught. I read this. I read a quote about Buddhism's impact. I can't tell you how many times uh, I have sat somewhere and I've seen somebody reading about Buddhism. It really freaks me out. I'm in Ireland and I expect everybody to be Catholic and they're all reading about Taoist meditations and Buddhist meditations and thinking. Thing. But I read this, somebody asked this guy about the impact of Buddhism on the world's problems. And this guy named Christmas Humphreys, I don't know why he's called Christmas, but that's his name. He's a Western Buddhist, and he says, it may be asked what contribution Buddhism is making to all the world problems, the national problems, the social problems. The answer is clear, none. (laughs) The truth is, you ever wonder why Christianity seems to be able to successfully generate an enormous number of mercy-oriented ministries, organizations, and movements that serve man and beast? Why did Christians produce so many universities and hospitals and prison ministries, anti-poverty movements, while Buddhism is unwilling to do that? If Buddhism is so mercy-oriented like they claim, why hasn't it made a hospital yet? You don't go to the first Buddhist hospital. No, you'll find you'll go down to the mercy hospital. You'll go down to Our Lady of such and such. Now... It turns out, Humphreys gives in his next paragraph, he says, the reason is clear. One man at peace lives happily. One man at peace within lives happily. In other words, when you think of yourself, and you only seek to be happy yourself, the last thing you want to think about is someone else. That's the core of Buddhism. Humanism. I'll just go put that. Humanism is a constant changing rules of morality based on survival of the fittest. That's why you have abortion and euthanasia. Humanists will change their morals every other week. Only Jesus Christ has affected our world and brought in such concepts as empathy and and honored it as long suffering, as loving kindness. Um, uh, All of these lists that we're encouraged to wear. That's why I want to be like him. That's why I just love the Bible. These eight outfits are responses for us to put on. Somebody, and I just gave you one. Somebody say one for me. Let's see if you can remember them. Bowels, Bowels of mercies. Kindness. What, Marcus? That was what you are going to say? What else? Humble of mind. Humbleness of mind. Long-suffering. Long suffering. What's what? Forbearance. Forgiving, forgiveness. Yes, sir? Meekness. He took it, huh? <laughs> Bill? I mean, John? Charity. Now that'd be the last one we think of, isn't it? That'd be the last one. Now, God always saves the best for last. But it doesn't mean it's least at all. So, alright. We got a lot of work on. It. Tomorrow morning we ought to wear all of those things, not just one. Well, today I'm going to be meek. <laughs> Well, ugh, and then you're going to find yourself out of balance somewhere else. Christian life. Somebody once said it this way: the Christian life. Christian life is the hardest way to live. But you couldn't be happier. You couldn't find a better way to live. All right, let's uh, stand and sing 393.